Well, let's pray, then we'll get into um, the next church in Revelation. Father, um, I can so easily get into a routine up here and sometimes even forget that um, this is about you. This is about honoring and worshiping you. So I personally just slow down. I ask that in all of our hearts we could slow down, not trying to get to the next thing, but being present here to worship you and to honor you. So we honor you right now. Father, you are faithful and you are good. You are strong and you are fair. I ask that you would give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience, Father. May your word transform us today. May we receive the blessing that Revelation talks about. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, I do bring it up again, is at the beginning of the book of Revelation, what it brings up is that those who hear the book, those who read the book, and those who, or speak the book, those who speak the book, those who hear the book, and those who obey the book will receive a blessing. So for me, what's been challenging is, um, as we've gone through these churches, I've thought to myself, I'm speaking and I'm hearing, but am I obeying? Are we obeying the, the terms by which has been brought up through these churches? Are we striving to not compromise? Are we striving to long suffer and endure? Are we striving to return to our first love? See, if we're not practicing those principles that we've learned thus far, what good or what blessing have we received? So I have been challenged. I have been bringing up Jesus more often wherever I am. And uh, the other day when I went to get my hair cut, um, there was a young girl, and they always ask, you know, what are you doing today? Do you have a day off? Nope, don't have a day off. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And she was asking about what that meant, and then she asked if I was married. She wasn't flirting or anything. Um, she asked if I was married, and I said, yep, been married for 10 years. Do you have any kids? No kids. And then after that, she asked if, um, if I lived with my wife. <laughs> what kind of question is this woman? <laughs> like, do I live with my wife? No, I've been ma happily married for 10 years, <laughs> and I don't live with her. <laughs> so it uh, caught me off guard, like, are you even listening? But uh, then asked her about her church experience and her boyfriend wants, he goes to church and he's been asking her to go to church. And I said, well, what kind of church is it? And she wasn't really able to say. I said, well, if it's, you know, it's a church that believes in Jesus, then I think you should go with him. And you know, just standing up and not running from those opportunities and compromising when Jesus puts them right in front of you. See, if we're not taking advantage, taking heed to the words of the book of Revelation, then there's no blessing that's going to come, right? So today, when we learn about the church, 
of Thyatira. May we take heed to the words. May we obey them. May we self-reflect in our own lives and say, God, I need that. So Thyatira, from the world standards, was the smallest and least relevant church that Jesus addresses here in the book of Revelation. We know the very least about it, yet the most interesting fact is this little unknown church had the longest letter written to it. So Thyatira was likely founded, according to theologians, by Alexander the Great. Its name means unceasing sacrifice. This was given because during times of battle, Thyatira served as a buffer city. What this meant was as a buffer city, when times of war came, boats would land at Thyatira, and when they landed there, then Thyatira would be the first people to receive all of the beating from the other people. So if they defeated Thyatira, then they would proceed to Pergamum maybe or somewhere else, but when they would proceed, then they didn't have as many troops. So it was called the unceasing sacrifice because they were often receiving the first punches in war. As a result, Thyatira was often destroyed and rebuilt. So Thyatira had what was called trade guilds. These trade guilds essentially were modern day, um, was a modern day workers union. And these guilds were made up of different industries within the city. So bakers, wool workers, dyers, bronze workers, potters, um, you know, just different kind of work within the city. These, these guilds, these workers' um, unions were made up of. Now, this is important for later because I'll bring this back up. But um, these, these guilds would come together. They would set prices, of course, and then they would promise work to those who were within these guilds. Therefore, if you were not a part of these guilds, there'd be a good chance that you didn't have work. So either you're a part of it and you work, or you're not a part of it and you don't have a job. As many other cities addressed, Thyatira was also worshiping false gods. They had many idols. They would often worship in a temple dedicated to fortune telling. Now, how was the church planted in Thyatira? We're not exactly sure, but some people suggest that it could have been planted by Lydia, who came to Christ in Philippi. Now that's interesting, a woman planting a church, the legalists in here say women can't do that. Well, women can do that. And it appears that Lydia might have been the person who planted the church there. Nevertheless, Acts chapter 16, 12 through 15, here's where we see that. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. 
and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside to, to the city gate, to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there, the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. So Lydia, there's a good possibility that Lydia went home after receiving the message of Christ, after being baptized in Christ. She went home and she shared about Jesus. So as she shares about Jesus, guess what? Jesus moves. So was she a former or formal pastor? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that as you share Jesus, Jesus, uh, people come to know Jesus, and a community of believers can rally together. So it's possible that Lydia, through her efforts of sharing the good news of Christ, possibly planted the church in Thyatira. Nevertheless, um, what Jesus does here at the beginning of his letter is he presents himself in three ways. Verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. See, keeping it simple, Jesus is reminding them, first, that as Son of God, that he is the true son of God. Apollo or Zeus are nothing in comparison to him. Any of these false gods that they are worshiping mean nothing. He's straight up addressing, you guys are following these gods. I am the son of God above every other god. So he alone is worthy of their praise. He alone is worthy of our praise. Amen? So Jesus quickly addresses that. He then, the second point he brings up, he says, with eyes like fire. What this is getting at is he is omniscient. He sees all. Nothing gets past him. He is telling them he sees past their current mess caused by following Jezebel. And then he says, I have feet like burnished bronze. He is strong. He's unrivaled in strength. And he can crush any enemy. And then also he's ready to judge. He's ready to judge. He's ready to judge. So Jesus is revealing to this church that he is above all and their false gods are causing problems. This church had become tolerant of things it never should have tolerated. But before Jesus gets to that point, what he does is he commends them for faithfully working. He commends them for faithfully working. 
Verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. See, Jesus isn't short in his assessment. A lot of people within existence often think that the only thing that Jesus ever does or will do is point a finger at a human being and tell them how bad that they are. How many of you guys have ever felt that way, that the only thing that God is doing is just telling me that I'm not good enough? See, because there's a lot of people that I've, or some people in here that I've talked to, and some people in here that I've talked to, they only feel like you can never encourage anyone or bring out a good quality in someone. The only thing that you can ever bring up is how bad someone in here is. That's not even what Jesus does. So why has the church become so legalistic that what the church does is only point the finger at the negative rather than building up the good? And what, what we see with Jesus here is if there is good, Jesus doesn't hide from the good. Amen? So we too shouldn't hide from the good. Now, if we just become puppies, always just affirming one another and never sharpening one another, then that's an issue. But what we know about Jesus is he affirms and he builds up, but he also rebukes. So what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is affirming. He is encouraging. So he's fair in giving his assessment. So he affirms their ministry. He says this, I know your deeds. This church had hard workers. They were not a church of just belief. They were an active church. I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. So he affirmed their ministry. I know your efforts. Then he affirms their motives. He says, I know your love. This church was, um, yeah, this church loved people well. The word used here is agape. So it re refers to unconditional love in short. And this type of love isn't influenced by the value of the object being loved. So they loved the people around them, whether they were rich or poor, whether they were healthy or whether they were sick, whether they were a part of their inner group or not. He said, I know that you love people really well. Then he said, I see your faith. This church was faithful. They were people who could be counted on to get the job done. If there was something needed to be done in the church of Thyatira, there was plenty of people willing to step up. So he said, I know your love, I know your faith, I see your service. This church was deeply involved in serving others. I see your perseverance. This church endured and kept on loving and working. They were facing hard times, and they endured. They persevered. I see that you are doing more now than ever. This church was increasing the way and the amount that they were helping and loving others. So you did this when you first became a believer, now you're doing so much more. You used to give this much, now you're giving that much. So what, is that, what does that mean? It appears as if that could mean growth. 
there was some kind of growth within this church. And we should all look at what Jesus has applauded through the first four churches. Wouldn't that be important for us? If Jesus is going to applaud something, then what we should do is say, what does Jesus applaud? And then maybe how do we make sure that we are doing things that Jesus applauds? So repenting, loving, not compromising. Shouldn't we all grow in how busy we are for the glory of God? That's really challenging. Macy and I uh, have a really busy week this week, and we often have really busy weeks throughout life. And we often say, like, can we get a break? Can we get a break? Can we get a break? Is there a break of that Kit Kat bar? <laughs> I didn't realize I was singing that jingle. But we want a break. We want to, like, there's just this desire. And I don't know what I want to break unto. What do, I don't know what I want to break for. Um, I guess my breaks never energize me anyways, so I probably need to break better. But one author said it this way. Can we bowl for blessings on Monday? Can we jog for Jesus on Tuesday? Can we eat in the kitchenette and endure a sermonette on Wednesday? We have home runs for heaven on Thursday. Golf for glory on Friday. Spread the table to stay able on Saturday. See, what this author was getting at is everything that we're doing, can we do it in such a way that we're honoring Jesus? See, Thyatira, they were doing more than they did at first, but they were an active church, and I believe that we are called to be an active people, an active church. Everything we, should, everything we do should be motivated by encouraging brothers and sisters, by evangelizing to the unbeliever and to exalting Jesus. And Jesus was applauding them for their works because he doesn't desire that we are lazy believers. He doesn't desire that we are lazy believers. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So to do good works, he created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. So if anyone ever asks, what did God create me for? Well, you have at least one scripture right here that I've given you, right? What did God create me for? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Amen? James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith with my deeds. Plenty of scriptures about how Jesus doesn't desire that we are lazy, but we are active within our faith. And I don't think that any of us say, I want to be lazy. I think what ends up happening is most of the church probably faces compromise. Now compromise was last week's message, but I don't think any of us desire to be lazy. I think most of us face compromise. Nevertheless, 
I pray that we grow and do more than we did at first. So Jesus kind of affirms them. He encourages them. He says, here's what I see that you're doing. But now he confronts their sin. The church looked good from the outside, yet it still had major problems. The church of Thyatira was being led astray by the spirit of Jezebel. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I, cast, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. That doesn't sound very fun, does it? I'd rather stick with the affirmations. Maybe the case could be made that Ephesus was strong on doctrine, but they lacked love. While Thyatira is strong in love, but weak in doctrine, the case could possibly be made. And since they are weak in doctrine, they tolerated most, if not all, heresy. Either way, Jesus was frustrated that they tolerated Jezebel. So the question has to be, well, who is Jezebel? Jezebel was the wife of the wicked king Ahab. Uh, you can find that in 1 Kings 16. She was the wicked daughter, um, she was the wicked daughter of a Gentile king. She was a devoted worshiper of Baal. She kept 850 prophets from her region, and, or yeah, from a region that was wicked and sexual. So she kept 850 prophets from around the region. Baal was a fertile god in his, uh, sorry, fertile, fertility god, and his prophets and priests were no more than temple prostitutes. Baal was worshipped through disgusting sexual acts and unpleasant evils. You know that there's societies now, there's cults now, there's people who are opposing Christ now that actually worship Baal. They have these meetings in these secret locations that they go to to have sexual practices where they worship Baal. It's crazy, isn't it? Baal worship is still going on today. That's all I'll say about that. Essentially, she hated all authority that didn't come from her. You ever meet one of those people? I was gonna say, you ever meet one of those women? <laughs> but I decided to say people. But I still said it, but, but, but you know that I didn't say it first. <laughs> when Jezebel came to Israel, 
Um, she brought her, her immoral region with her. She led her weak, I've never met one of those women anyways. So if you guys have, that's on you. She led her weak-kneed husband to follow her gods, thus influenced Israel to seek Baal instead of Jesus. So she brought all of this influence, and she began to worship Baal. And then after worshiping Baal, she said, worship Baal instead of Jehovah. She even did her best to kill every true man of God that she could get her hands on. She threatened Elijah one time, and he ran away. 1 Kings 19. See, that's a little about Jezebel. And this church wasn't dealing with her personality uh, very well. See, they, yeah, this church wasn't dealing with her personality. They were dealing with her spiritually. So it wasn't necessarily the person of Jezebel, but it was the spirit of Jezebel. And some churches have often thrown, thrown around Jezebel about people or certain spirits that within the church. And sometimes it's probably been used more than the name of Jesus. But when we reference Jezebel, it's, it's, a, it's a spirit that we're discussing. So uh, Jesus was frustrated that Thyatira is allowing it, that they're allowing this spirit of worshiping Baal and evil misconduct to be within the church. So what we have to understand is tolerance, they were tolerating Jezebel. Tolerance has a line. Do you recognize that? Tolerance has a line. And what's being pushed within this generation, what's being pushed within the younger generation is that tolerance is loving. Tolerance is not loving. We talked a little bit about tolerance at Bible Club on Friday. But tolerance has a line. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet by teaching by her teaching, she misleads my servant, servants into sexual immorality and the eating of the foods or the food sacrificed to idols. Jesus addresses four areas that we must guard in this one verse. So when we slow down a little bit and we study it, four areas. The first one is, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. So we must guard against the spirit of Jezebel. We must guard against powerful personalities. I'm not saying that all powerful personalities are bad, but Jezebel was a powerful, powerful personality. So we must be on guard. Jesus wasn't talking about a specific person when he says Jezebel. He was using it as an analogy for a type of person. See, the spirit of Jezebel has a powerful personality. They are smart, they are influential, and they are relevant. And what's unique to me is um, the pressure of church growth and the pressure of 
being relevant as a leader. In, in the pressure of having a powerful personality from the pulpit. And what I believe that we've seen is as the technology has increased, the powerful personalities have only increased with it. And what happens is, is the church, what they like is they like a powerful emotional message that they can get on YouTube that only affirms them rather than looking at the whole scriptures. So it's real easy to listen to this pastor or that pastor or this pastor or that pastor. And I'm not saying listening to these pastors is a bad thing either. But there are some powerful personalities that have a big following that will not bring up Jesus in their sermons, that will not say that a sin is a sin, that will not tell people that there's truth. And we have to be on guard against that. See, it's easy to join what the world is doing because from a worldly standpoint, it makes complete sense. Yet what what people didn't see was how evil, scheming, and sexually immoral this spirit of Jezebel was. The freedom that she promised only led people into their slavery and away from God. Truth is what sets us free. Jezebel, in a sense, represents things in our life that lead us to idolatry, to worshiping things instead of worshiping God. So the spirit of Jezebel leads you to worship things rather than worship God. So we have to ask the question, where are we following the spirit of Jezebel in our life? What things in our life have become idols to us that we've put before God? Unique abilities, gifts, being prophetic or having a huge following means nothing if Christ is not the center. Amen? So Jezebel had this powerful personality. And they were tolerating it. The next thing is um, continuing. Who calls herself a prophet. Now, some women in Scripture had the gift of prophecy. Luke 2, 26. There was also a prophet, Anna. Acts 21, 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Acts 2, 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. So the issue that's being addressed here is not an issue of a woman being a prophet, right? That's not. The issue was that she was a self-proclaimed prophet. She desired and she craved a position. She thirsted after a title. She considered herself spiritually privileged. She uh, was introduced as the one who calls herself a prophet. Have you guys ever seen those people who just crave 
and desire and long for a position? Just hungry. Um, we see people we see people in politics who will do anything it takes to get into a position of leadership. Jezebel. We see people for school boards or at work at the workplace or within siblings to do whatever it takes to jockey to be in that position. Do we jockey for position? Nevertheless, the issue, like I said, wasn't a woman being a prophet. The issue was that she craved it. The spirit of Jezebel can be seen when people say that God told them something, but you know it contradicts the word. You guys ever been around those people? God told me, but you know it contradicts the word? See, because they think that they're so spiritually superior, because they're the self-proclaimed prophet, what they can do is they feel like, yeah, I understand God's word, but that doesn't apply to me. Anyone ever talked to anyone been like that? I'm, I'm the only one. God bless you, you haven't been around Jezebels. Maybe you're the Jezebel. If you never, we saw a couple walking in our neighborhood several weeks ago, and we heard coyotes out there. And I said, you know what? I've never seen you and the coyotes in the same room. So if you, if you've never seen a Jezebel, then maybe. All right, I'll just keep on preaching then. It's the people who say that they know the secrets of the word. Don't listen to church leadership. Listen to me, because God told me how wrong they are. That's the spirit of Jezebel. They're the people who act as if their advice is better than what the Bible says. I've often found those type of people giving marriage advice. There's people who say, don't listen to church leadership. Don't listen to the pastor. I've received a word from God, and this is what God says. Don't listen to the Bible. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Under this self-proclaimed prophet, the city of Thyatira was being led away from God. She had a powerful personality, and not only did she have a powerful personality, but she self-proclaimed her gift. Remember the guilds that I talked about earlier, these workers' unions? These guilds would have regular meetings where they would worship and make sacrifices to their pagan gods. These meetings involved drunkenness, drugs, sexual immorality of all types. At these workers' unions' meetings, that's what went on. It wasn't just how do we live or how do we help people work better. It was sexual immorality, drugs, and debauchery of all kinds. So there was a huge decision that believers had to make in Thyatira. Will we stand for Christ and be without a job? Or will, will they submit to the spirit of Jezebel and participate in this debauchery and worship of Baal? 
That was a hard decision. And what was happening is Thyatira was tolerating it. Possibly and likely some believers were even participating in it. Actually, some believers were. So there was a huge decision. What decision would you make today? You can work and you can eat or, or you can't. You either worship and eat, you worship, and you worship our false gods and eat, or you don't worship our false gods and you don't eat. So there was a huge decision. Where the spirit of Jezebel wouldn't stop though is this is this spirit knows enough about enough to make it sound reasonable to participate. See, uh, the teaching was likely going around that you were saved by grace and you could live as you wish. See, these spirits, these people who are not operating under the authority of Christ know enough about enough and then they suck you in. So what I believe was happening in Thyatira was, hey look, we understand the sacrifice of Jesus. Grace, you're saved by grace and grace alone. So God doesn't care, because you're saved by grace alone, God doesn't care if you go participate in all this sexual immorality because his grace covers you. And when we start mixing those, grace and live as you wish, then I believe that we could be operating out of the spirit of Jezebel. So, um, yeah, it was okay to compartmentalize Jesus in your life. Jesus is over here, and he gets this time, and then anything outside of that, I get to do what I want with. That's what Jesus was frustrated with. There was a church that would rather listen to powerful leaders. There's a church that would rather listen to powerful leaders tell them they can live a double life and their God will be okay with it, rather than a church that would stand for truth. Rather than a church that will stand for truth. Um, we talked about a unique subject at Bible Club and um, a couple weeks ago, and. Someone came up to Mark after Bible Club and said, hey, well, this is how I live, and I add this to the Bible, or I take from this Bible, and then I take from this religion and that religion, and they were trying to say they take from multiple different things. Well, guess what? Mark doesn't stand for that, and we don't stand for that. Amen? What was happening is that was being tolerated in Thyatira, and Jesus was frustrated with it. They didn't stand for truth. The church was tolerating, 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 tolerating. What do you tolerate in your life? What do you tolerate with your kids? What do you tolerate with your neighbors and coworkers? See, sometimes, essentially, you know, what my parents tolerated was, okay, yeah, just go to your friend's house, right? But when it came to Jesus, the tolerating, it was, Jesus is the only way. Go say sorry to your sister. Don't steal. There wasn't tolerating on truth. Yeah, whatever. Go eat another Oreo. 
Like that was the tolerating that they would put up with. But within this generation, oh, you think, you think that you're a different gender? Fine, I'll tolerate that. Oh, you think that it's okay to identify as an animal? We'll tolerate that. There's a local school system, I've been told, that has, um, what is it, kitty time? Someone help me. Furry time. Furry time. Where they allow the students who identify as cats to go um, have their cat time during school. During school, they have furry time. And I'll boldly say this, God created us in the beginning of time, male and female. Amen? And we, when we tolerate, when we tolerate, when we take the easy way and just allow people, because it's easier for us just to say, yeah, go live as you want to live because I don't want to study the Bible. I don't want to have an argument with you. I don't want to speak truth to you. I want you to be my friend. Because we tolerate those things, we're doing that individual disservice. What's easier for them to keep on living as cats or to be set free from Jesus Christ? To be set free, amen? So this church was tolerating. And you and I have been taught to tolerate because tolerating is loving. Tolerating is loving, isn't it? It's not. What's loving is giving people truth. There's a war on culture. And the war on culture is actually a war against God's standards. You think that it's about the world, it's about God's standards, and there's a war on that. Why do we not think so poorly about immorality and idolatry anymore? Why have we become so okay with it? I am not talking about our neighbor's immorality. I am not talking about our neighbor's idolatry. Because it's real easy for us to stand up here and say, I'm so tired of the sexual sin within our nation. And then I'm so frustrated with the idolatry within our nation, within our school systems, within our communities, at my workplace. And we'll never reflect on the sexual immorality within our own, our own life. We'll never reflect on the idolatry in our own life. So why are we, yeah, why do we not think poorly anymore about immorality and idolatry? Why doesn't the church think poorly about that? Not, the church thinks poorly about the world, but the church needs to reflect on the church, amen? We need to reflect on ourselves See, Jesus' letter to the seven churches was not to the seven regions. This wasn't to the seven areas. This wasn't to the seven worldly gatherings. This was to the seven churches. So Jesus is specifically speaking to the church, not the world in that region. Amen? So for us to then 
be taking this message and receiving these messages as if Jesus is speaking to the world, then we're not gonna receive the blessing. What Jesus is speaking to you and I today. What are we tolerating in our life? How are we tolerating these sins in our life? And before I point any finger at you, I have to spend time in prayer and ask God to reveal to me the areas by which I am tolerating things in my life. Amen? I'm not preaching to you today. I'm preaching to me. God, what have I put in front of you? What am I idolizing? Revival, I, I'm serious. Revival starts with you repenting today. That's where it starts. We're not experiencing that renewal, we're not experiencing that revival because we're not repenting. And we just keep on waiting for, for the Acts 2 wind of the Spirit or Acts to come through, right? And I think that can happen. I, I think hopefully one day it will happen again. But if I wanna experience that fullness, I can just repent and turn from the sin of my life today and say, God, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna quit idolizing things, I'm gonna give up everything, I'm gonna trust you fully, and that renewal will be right there. Because you know what? God's knocking on our doors today. And when we open it up, he doesn't wait. He comes right in. If we just open up our doors today and repent, it's there. Tolerating is a big deal to God. The things that you tolerate in your life, the things that I tolerate in my life, and then collectively, the things that the church tolerates is a big deal to God. Because, yeah, I mean, I can look at other churches in the area and I can point out things that they're tolerating. But if everyone else is always the problem, then I'm never gonna grow. If everyone else is always the problem, then I'm never gonna become closer to God. Amen? Just walk out of here today saying, God, I'm the problem, but you're the answer. So the church was tolerating. This is a big deal to God. See, this spirit seduces the church away from God. But God is fair, and he offers correction with discipline. God is fair, so he lets them know what to do. Verse 21 I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. God gave her time to repent, but she was unwilling. Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God gave her time to repent, but she was unwilling. And Second Peter affirms that God is giving believers in the world time to repent, but there's this unwillingness within people. And just because you haven't faced consequences yet doesn't mean you won't. 
See, there's a lot of times that we think that we're getting away with our sin. There's no getting away with sin. What does God do with those who are unwilling to repent? He says right here, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus is saying, these people are not saved. People who will not repent are not saved. People who will not repent are not saved. But God, yeah, so people who will not turn from their sin are not saved. But God is so kind that there's mercy. Look at how kind God is. He says, unless they repent, or yeah, unless they repent of her ways. Unless is pointing to the idea that he's giving them time. He didn't say, I'm done with you. He said, unless they repent. So God is merciful even in darkness. Jesus was letting them know that if they didn't repent, that uh, God would send them to hell. And he would make an example of the churches. He would make an example of the church. I'll send you to hell. Isn't that scary? We don't use the term often much, I'll send, that God will send us to hell. God will send those who do not repent to hell. God is giving us time today to repent as well. Repent of gossip, repent of tolerance, and I've used some strong words here. Repent of porn, repent of lust, repent of laziness, repent of, of stubbornness, repent of complacence. Repent, repent, repent. Don't tolerate the sin. Don't tolerate the spirit of Jezebel in your life. Repent of it. The areas that you're dealing with, maybe you're like, I gossip or I fib a little bit or whatever the sin that God is convicting you of that as I speak right now, you know what I'm speaking about. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about right now? You don't need to, you don't need to say it. You know that you know that what I'm speaking about, you need to get rid of it in your life. Repent of it. And the spirit of Jezebel is deceiving you to think that you can tolerate that. It's crazy, isn't it? See, but it's not all gloomy. Repentance is a good word. Jesus celebrates repentance, amen? So repentance isn't a scary thing in the church. You responding at the altar is not a scary thing at the church. You confessing a sin is not a scary thing at the church. Repentance is celebrated. But Jesus continues and he comforts his people. Not everyone in Thyatira had walked away from Jesus. Even in that tolerant, compromising, sinful church, there was still a faithful remnant. So God offered them a word of encouragement. He first encourages them 
in responsibility. He says this, verse 24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burdens on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. What Jesus is saying is, look, stick to what I'm teaching. Just hold fast. Don't get sucked in to the Jezebel spirit. And what I would say to you today is this, stick to what Jesus is teaching. Hold fast. Don't get sucked into the Jezebel spirit. When those sins come into your life, don't look for the loopholes. Why are we as Christians always trying to live as close to the edge as we can? Why do we always say, how much can I get away with? How much can I get away with? How much can I get away with and still honor God? What spirit is that? Jezebel spirit. And what we need to do is we need to hold fast to his word. Get into his word, believe his word, trust his word. Is it Romans 12 or Romans 13? Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ than think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Cling to that. Matthew 6, right? 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else that you're trying to add will be added unto you. Amen? Cling to those things. Hold fast to those things. Endure and persevere. You know what I usually discover is if I can just go to sleep, I wake up, and I just, I just always feel God's mercies new each morning. I do. There's some nights I just go to bed so frustrated, and then I wake up, and just like, I feel like a new person. And what that's helped me understand is I just have to struggle for the next hour. I just have to struggle for the next 30 minutes. I just have to struggle today, and then God's going to renew me. I just have to hold fast today. And if I wake up tomorrow, I just have to hold fast. And if I wake up the next day, I just have to hold fast. Amen? So he encourages them in their responsibility, and the responsibility was just to hold fast. He encourages them in their future. Verse 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule. Uh, that one will rule them with an iron se uh, scepter, and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Jesus is saying that those who will endure, He will share His kingdom with them. We could really talk, write a book about what Jesus is saying here. Now, I want to be careful, but I also want to preach what I believe is true here in the scriptures. Jesus is saying he's going to share the kingdom with, him, with us. He's going to share responsibility with us. There's something that we get to participate in with him. It's pretty cool, isn't it? don't completely understand it. I'm not ready to preach a full message on it. But what I do understand is we will be co-laborers with him in heaven as well. 
there's gonna be a shared responsibility that we get to rule whatever's next. So he encourages us in our, in our future. And then he encourages them in their freedom. Verse 28, I will also give that one, the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a debate here with what this scripture means. Um, verse 28 specifically. So Jesus will give those, yeah, who, in, Jesus will give those who endure himself. That's the way that I see it. That's what's going on. I will give, um, verse 28, I will also give the one, the morning star. I believe, based upon my study, I believe the morning star is Jesus himself. I believe that's what he's pointing to. There has been some speculation. Maybe this means the rapture. I'll give you the rapture. Other speculation means that it will give us authority over the morning star, which has um, been a reference towards Satan as well. So authority over to stomp on. So of those three, through prayer, I felt like this was Jesus himself. Not a, not a hill that I'm going to die on. Nevertheless, I don't think that MCF is Thyatira. I don't think that that's who we are. I think there's a lot of things that we need to consider. We can't just look at um, tolerance of what the world is doing. Tolerance happens within the church. So I don't think that it's us, but we do need to make a stand. First Peter 5, 8 says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we must be on guard in our own life trying to fit into culture. We must be on guard trying to redefine sin. We must be on guard departing absolute truth for relativism. We must be on guard against looking to gray and not allowing things to be black and white. We must be on guard failing to stand for truth. There was a church leader that we worked with several years ago, and um, she started to share about her son's sexual sins. And her son began to like other boys. And um, what ended up happening is we prayed about it and nothing changed. He never changed. So then what ended up happening is tolerance took place in her life, so guess what she did? She changed. She started to support the agenda in his life because she felt like she wasn't loving her child if she wasn't affirming who he was. Now look, I think you can love your child and still stand up against the sin in their life. You wanna know who set the best example of that? Jesus himself. 
Jesus madly and deeply loves us. Jesus madly and deeply loves this world, and he doesn't tolerate our sin. Jesus died for our sin, and he doesn't tolerate it, but he still loves us, and he still knocks on our door, and he still provides for us, and he cares for us. But a sin is still a sin to Jesus. He, did, he didn't change his perspective. The way that she loved her son pales in comparison to the way that Jesus loves this world. And he still was willing to die for us. And he was still willing to speak truth to us. Amen? I wonder where we have been sucked into a Jezebel spirit as individuals. I wonder where we have been sucked into a Jezebel spirit as a family unit. I wonder where we have been sucked into a Jezebel spirit as a community, as a church, and as a nation. There's some obvious ones, right? But the Jezebel spirit isn't always obvious. So be on guard about fitting into culture. I'm gonna say it again. Be on guard about trying to re redefine sin. Be on guard about departing absolute truth for relative, uh, relativism. Be on guard about making things gray rather than black and white. Be on guard about failing to stand for truth. Amen? So Ephesus left their first love. That's a hard message. I think they can resonate with most of us, if not all of us in here. Smyrna endured suffering that can resonate with all of us, many of us or all of us have suffered, but this idea of suffering for Christ is a cost that we all have to count. Pergamum compromised. There's been areas in all of our lives this past month that we have compromised. We haven't brought up Jesus. We've settled for sin. And now in Thyatira, tolerance. There's things in our lives that we've tolerated that we must repent of today. Amen? You don't have to repent at an altar, and I'm not even gonna give an altar call today. Repentance can take place at your house, in your car, um, at church asking for prayer. But repentance means you're turning from, you're agreeing with God that the direction that you're headed is the wrong direction and that you need to turn back to him in a certain area. God, I'm heading down this road of gossip and talking about people and building myself up and making myself feel better than others. I recognize that that's a sin and I fall short. My heart doesn't completely, like, we don't have to even be emotional to repent, right? God, God's kindness intends to lead us to repentance, so there's still a participation with us. God, I don't feel it today, but I recognize that I'm falling short and I need to turn from that. So I'm not going to gossip today. I'm repenting. I'm turning from that sin and I'm turning to you. And when people bring up these issues, I'm not going to join. Amen? Or God, this coworker at work, I think they're kind of cute. I'm just gonna start avoiding them. Or God, I'm gonna stop watching the young and the restless for you retired people. 
What's the, oh, guiding lights. General Hospital. I'm going to quit watching these. Grey's Anatomy. Let me step on some more toes, right? If you guys watch The Office, that's okay. <laughs> Guess who watches The Office? All joking aside, um, don't we want to get rid of anything that's keeping us from loving God? That's the church that God wants. That's the people that God wants, to trust him in such a way that, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of finding my own way. I'm tired of um, wandering in the wilderness. A study that um, the leadership's going through here, it's called Undercover by John Bevere. And one of the things that he uh, said this week, I'm bringing up my note right here. He said this, if you call me Lord and choose when you obey me, I'm not your Lord. It's pretty hard, isn't it? If you call me Lord and choose when to obey me, I'm not your Lord. So may we be people this week. But hey, look, um, when we talk about his burden is easy and his yoke is light. What's been said is yokes back in the day, they, they used to put a seasoned big ox on one side and then they would put a immature ox in training. Now this wasn't in every circumstance, but what would happen is the seasoned ox would carry the weight of that yoke and it would train up the younger ox in how it needed to do things. So Jesus, I wanna be yoked to him, right? Jesus is the mature, seasoned ox that I want to be yoked to, and he carries that weight. So as we talk about some of these heavy things of following him as Lord and obeying him, still recognize that you don't have to beat yourself up. Just be yoked next to him and experience his freedom in that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, may we not tolerate. May we be yoked to you. May we obey you as Lord. Father, I pray that you would reveal the Jezebel spirit that we're following in our lives. You are speaking to the church and you're speaking to you and I or us today. So may we hear you clearly this week. As we heard the words this week, Father, as we spoke the words this week, now may we obey these words. Give us the boldness. May your Holy Spirit, Father, that is to remind us of all things, remind us of areas that we need to repent and follow you this week. Let's pray this blessing over us. A church, Father, that um, is deeply, deeply, deeply in love with you, who doesn't tolerate, who doesn't compromise, and who will long suffer. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>